Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Mary Maté. And Katie, this is a Aaron. special week. This is a special week, I believe. I believe this is the week we celebrated your birthday. We so celebrate. Happy... We continue. Yes. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a great one. You know what I did for it? No. You didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I had omakase. Have you ever had omakase sushi? No, I don't think so. So it's when they give you one piece of sushi at a time and you have no control over what they bring you. Mm. And I went with my friend for his birthday and I was a little bit afraid that I wasn't going to like it because I don't know what you're into in terms of sushi, but I kind of like really boring stuff like California roll and Mm -hmm. like uh, tempura roll. I'm not proud of it, but I'm just being real with, with what I usually like. So I expected that given that you have no choice about what you eat and they just give you one piece after another, there's going to be a lot of raw fish. I expected I really wouldn't like it, but I actually loved it. And so then I did it for my birthday. And Wilson, I just texted you something. Let's show, let's go to the videotape. I texted you an image of what they got me because I told them at the restaurant it was my birthday. And lots of places, they may give you at other places like a, a slice of cake maybe, some ice cream for your birthday, but not at this place. Look at that. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful, right? It's a yeah. it's like a it's a they made and for the people just listening, it's a it's like a rose that they made out of salmon mm. um and then some other little flowers of tuna and a white fish and then they have they put the uh, a candle in a little thing of wasabi. It's very pretty. Who knew that raw fish could make such a nice floral arrangement? That's I know. Stunning. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I did, yeah. Well, I'm glad it was a good one, and I'm glad you got to celebrate with, honestly, the nicest, one of the nicest fish bouquets, in fact, the nicest fish bouquet I've ever seen. I mean, top five. Let's be, (laughs) let's be, let's be brutally honest. At least top five, yeah. I went to a sushi place recently in LA, and on the back of the menu, they were like, no, we do not serve California rolls. No, we do not serve avocado. We serve sushi our way. If you don't like it, you can leave. Like, they were, you know. Yes. And then- a place I would have thought I would have had to have left. But yeah. thanks to this omakase experience, I now know that I'm an actually much more adventurous sushi eater than I realized. Absolutely. And the place, this place I, I went to, which was so stringent, was delicious. So I put my full faith yeah. in any sushi restaurant that will deny me anything that I might otherwise want. So Yeah. Well, thanks for the birthday wishes, everyone. Well, we're going to keep the party going with a fun-filled episode of Useful Idiots. Our guest today is going to be Larry Johnson, he is a former CIA analyst, and we're going to speak to him about the latest in the proxy war in Ukraine, including this NATO summit in Lithuania where some tension between Zelensky and his patrons emerged. So we'll be discussing that and a lot more. And as always, you can go to usefulidiots.substack.com or usefulidiots.locals.com to subscribe and get bonus content, including an extended interview with Larry Johnson, our guest today. And our weekly feature, Thursday Throwdown, your midweek dose of media madness. That's right. Yeah. 
All right. Let's get to our four basic food groups. Democrats suck. Republicans suck. Isn't that weird? Isn't that terrible? I have Democrats suck. And for that, we are going to go to AOC. So president's only primary opponents are Marianne Williamson, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Haven't been any rumors about anyone else even thinking about jumping in. Will you be supporting Joe Biden for re-election? Uh, I believe given that field, yes. I think he's done quite well, uh, it, given the limitations that we have. Um, I do think that there are ebbs and flows, uh, as there are in any, pres- uh, in any presidency. You know, I, there are areas that I think were quite strong when he came right out of the gate with the American Rescue Plan. And of course, the Inflation Reduction Act was a massive step in terms of our climate agenda. But, you know, there are also areas that I think could have gone better. We have major structural issues in this country. And it start, I think it starts with the United States Senate. Um, and I think that until we have senators that are willing to stand up and stare the filibuster in the eye and stare a lot of structural issues about the Senate and the United States Senate will be what holds back this country from an enormous amount of progress. Yes. And of course, she did this. She made this announcement on Pod Save America, speaking with John Favreau. And of course, we spoke about John Favreau vote shaming on last week's episode. All right. You know, it's so redundant at this point, I think, to make to like criticize AOC from the left that I can't even do it anymore. Obviously, just re-endorsing Joe Biden, I think, speaks for itself. <laughs> like, so many betrayals on core issues to progressives, like when he broke the railroad workers' strike, all the ways in which he could have fought for progressive uh, agenda items but didn't. And then, of course, the proxy war in Ukraine, which to me is right there, irrespective of everything else, is a cancelable uh, policy. But I do want to go back to the beginning because – What I find funny, I think more thought and deliberation went into Jon Favreau's T-shirt choice than into AOC's endorsement of Joe Biden. So let's go back. I just want to like, can we just go back to the beginning of the the clip? Yeah. I guarantee you that there is, you know, I say this as a guy who, you know. A gray shirt wearing guy. A GSW. Yeah, yeah. I wear gray shirts too. A GSG. You're wearing a gray shirt right now. Yeah. But I just think uh, he throws on a T-shirt like that to look as if he's like, casual and doesn't care he's like yes i'm like a casual guy just hosting this podcast and getting progressives to uh endorse joe biden uh, before well before the primaries even really started i guarantee you the more thought went into that t-shirt than into aoc's decision here i don't know for some reason that makes me never want to wear a t-shirt ever again because i think like their whole thing is to look to give this like you know young sheen on a old neoliberal party that no matter what they do, we're always told we have to vote for them. And here is AOC, who was supposed to be this revolutionary figure, falling in line now without even asking for anything. Right. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? And all these other progressive candidates who are in the race, like Cornell West, um, who's in the race, who I think is publicly identified with a lot of a lot more of AOC's professed values than Joe Biden is. So, yeah, well, or Marianne Williamson. I mean, the, the thing is that Marianne Williamson, we've talked about this, Aaron, like I, I really like her domestic stuff. I think it's the best. I mean, I think she and Cornell West have very good domestic programs. I disagree with her on Ukraine, but the thing is like AOC agrees with her on Ukraine. So she actually should have no reservations about endorsing Marianne Williamson. 
But sure. of course you yeah. won't. So thumbs down to It ebbs and flows though, Aaron. It ebbs and flows. It ebbs as, and flows. As AOC right. says, and there's structural issues. Such a word salad. And you know, I gotta say too, like not that I care. I, I don't need to talk to the squad. It's fine. It doesn't matter. But it's just it's so funny to me that like these are these progressive uh members of Congress never go on progressive YouTube shows. Like I wouldn't expect them to talk to me because like I'm very critical of them for all their stances, especially on Ukraine. But there are shows that are actually even friendlier to them, or at least not as harsh, and they won't even talk to them either. Yet they only go now on these like centrist neoliberal shows, like the shows that are associated with the wing of the party that is tried to destroy and then co-opt them. And like going on shows like Pots of America and ignoring like lefty YouTube shows, to me that's like just a signal that the squad accepts being co-opted. And I don't know. It's a disappointment. So for Republican suck, we have something very interesting happening, and it has to do with Barbie, of all things. Let's go to the videotape, Fox News. Hollywood facing backlash over its ties to China. Senator Ted Cruz accusing the new Barbie movie of pushing CCP propaganda and groveling to the communist regime. His criticism coming after Vietnam banned the movie over scenes with a map showing China's claims to the territory in the South China Sea, hmm. the so-called Nine Dash Line. So, Joe, is Barbie a communist? Maybe. Maybe. Like Hollywood. Okay, that's that would be funny and cute if we were tongue in cheek, but it's kind of not tongue in cheek because there are Republicans who actually are talking about this. Ted Cruz tweeted about it. Uh, he's not the only one. We also have Rep. Mike Gallagher, uh, who leads a select House panel, uh, which is aimed at countering the influence of China. He said of the map in the movie that it illustrates the pressure that Hollywood is under to please CCP censors. And let's take a look at this map of Barbie standing in front of this map. This is the map that they are accusing China of spreading its propaganda through. Okay, this map. <laughs> this is propaganda that is trying to convince the world that China has the rights to the uh, South China Sea. You see that dotted line uh, coming out of there? That is the nine-dash line by which China lays claim to nearly all of the South China Sea as its own territory. So Vietnam over that dash has banned the film in Vietnam. But what's interesting is that what's really happening is that Ted Cruz and all these Republicans who are upset about this are aligning themselves with communist Vietnam. That is really funny. I wonder what's next. Are they going to start checking, you know, children's school drawings to make sure that they don't recognize China's sovereignty over anywhere that we yeah. don't recognize? I mean, Let's not stop at Barbie. Let's let's make sure that our schools are safe from communist True. propaganda. Yeah, I mean there is kind of a feminist critique of Barbie, right? Oh, sure, obviously. right. Yeah. So here's here are Republicans maybe you know aligning with their feminist sisters to stand up to the patriarchy. It could be that, yeah. Yeah. They should need to join hands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it is it is funny though that they're, they of course sen Senators uh, Cruz's spokesperson said. He's been fighting for years to prevent American companies, especially Hollywood studios, from altering and censoring their content to appease the Chinese Communist Party. But he, of course, Cruz, is just appeasing the Vietnamese Communist Party because he is a fan of Ho Chi Minh and his vision, not the Chinese one. You're, you're getting from this that Ted Cruz loves Ho Chi Minh. Okay. Exactly. All yeah. Right. All right. Because yeah. he's siding with that communist country. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. All right. Isn't that weird? When you hear the name George Santos, do you ever think of Rosa Parks as being a fair analog I'm, with him? I mean, all the time. I, all the I time? use them all the time, yeah. Well, you're unlucky because someone who agrees with you is George Santos. Listen to this. They come for me, I go right back for them because I think for far too long they've gotten away with getting along to get along. So, no, it's not going to stay that way anymore. I'm going to call them out. You want to call me a liar? I'll call you a sellout. I mean, Mitt Romney, the man goes to the State of the Union of the United States wearing a Ukraine lapel pin, tells me, a Latino gay man, that I shouldn't sit in the front, that I should be in the back. Well, guess what? Rosa Parks didn't sit in the back, and neither am I going to sit in the back. That's just the reality of how it works. Mitt Romney lives in a very different world, and he he needs to buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride for him. Wow. I mean, I like the mixed metaphor. He needs to buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy bus ride for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna I bet Rosa Parks didn't use that metaphor when yeah, she yeah. refused to sit I bet in the she back didn't. of the bus. She, yeah. I mean, she was brave, but not George Santos brave. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I got to say, but in seriousness, I do appreciate that he's giving, you know, that he's bringing the heat to Mitt Romney, yeah, who, is a, who is just a complete neocon and he deserves all the scorn that he gets. But yes, I would not be, comp- I would, to do that, I would not be choosing Rosa Parks right. as my analog if I were George right. Santos. I mean, Rosa Parks fought for desegregation, fought against racism. George Santos is standing up for what? The right of serial liars to serve in Congress, which is, you know, fair. I I support that right, but not quite on the level of Rosa Parks. Right. You could just do it without the Rosa Parks comparison. Yeah. 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 I mean, he could have gone with Anne Frank. (laughs) That would have worked too. Even better. Yeah. All righty. Well, for isn't that terrible? Let's hear this haunting story from New York. He's been arrested after police say he attacked another man and ran through two Las Vegas strip casinos. We have blurted out for obvious reasons, but police say that is Brian Danilchik. Brian Danilchik, 35, was accused of slugging a one-legged man before going on his naked dance rampage, which his family says was so out of character that they believe it was caused by some type of hallucinogenic drug that was slipped into his drink. He is the victim, his wife told the Post, and the person who chose to drug my husband is the true criminal. The reason I chose this as an isn't that terrible is because it's kind of a double terrible. You have this man uh, exposing himself, acting in offensive ways, going after a one man, a one legged man. And then on top of that, according to his family, he's the real victim because he was roofied. I think it's a triple terrible because it's also giving hallucinogenic drugs a bad name. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. You know, uh, I I have to wonder if this is some sort of setup. This is this is my deep state conspiracy theory here. This could be a, a propaganda, a psyop by um, Big Pharma. Big, Big Pharma. Yeah, you're right. To, actually, to, tar- to taint the good name of hallucinogenic plant medicine by saying that it caused this innocent man to slug a another man and run naked through a casino i don't know yeah that's my conspiracy theory 
I yeah, I, I think that you're you may be onto something, which is why this is actually such an important. Isn't that terrible? Because isn't that it's an isn't that terrible? And isn't that an important moment to realize and get into action against big pharma? Yeah. And isn't yeah. that a conspiracy theory? For this week's guest, we are joined by Larry Johnson. He is a former CIA analyst who also served as the deputy director at the U.S. State Department's Office of Counterterrorism. And we're going to speak to Larry about the latest in the proxy war in Ukraine. Larry Johnson, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be with you guys. I want to start with the NATO summit where... Ukraine was calling for a roadmap to admission, and they got denied. In fact, the statement that came out from NATO is very vague. It just says that we'll admit Ukraine when conditions are met, but doesn't even specify what those conditions are. And there's a photo circulating that I want to go to to show people. This, I think, captures the outcome for Ukraine at this summit. This is Zelensky standing alone amid a sea of NATO leaders all speaking to each other. There it is. That's the image that I think says it all. What's your take on this summit and Ukraine not receiving what it was hoping for, which is just even a promise of a timeline to admission? Well, I like the variation on that photo. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, They take the, you know, if you go to like a theme park, Disney World, you have to be this tall to to, to ride this ride. So it says you have to be this tall to join NATO and it shows him as being short. So... He oh, came Aaron, up your fellow short king. Yeah, I know. Hey, I, I can laugh at that with reluctance, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the when Biden said the other day, in a moment of clarity, a rare moment of clarity, that number one, the United States has run out of missiles or rockets, ammunition to send Ukraine, which is why we're now going to send cluster munitions, because we don't have anything else left in the cupboard. And he's not going to let Ukraine join NATO as long as the war is going on. Uh, because if they did that, then they'd have to enact Article 5 and we'd be at war with Russia. And neither the United States nor Germany, they're on the record. They don't want that. So th- there is no path forward for Ukraine because they, they've laid it to the condition. Well, when you beat Russia in the war, that's not happening. It's not going to happen. So, you know, take that off the table. Ukraine will never be in NATO. That's the bottom line. I'm just curious. Is it would it be possible? I mean, if the world decided that they wanted to go in and defend Ukraine, yeah. what would even happen if they provided them with enough weaponry to be able to defeat Russia? Is that even a potential that would does that exist even that possibility? Well, we've watched the evolution of NATO United States strategy over the last 16 months. Uh, since the war, the special military operation started. Uh, they, they started with the initial assumption that the Russian army was terrible, that it's weak, that the defense industry in Russia was non-existent or decrepit, uh, and that the West could just through supplying money and munitions would uh, put uh, Ukraine on the road to victory. Because the fact of the matter was, in terms of the number, the size of the army at the outbreak of the special military operation, Ukraine had the largest military in the, in the European theater, with the exception of Turkey, who's not considered Europe. <laughs> it wants to be, but is not yet considered. 
So they thought that they could do the proxy war thing. And yet, at every step along the way, uh, they, they are, are refusing to deal with the reality. You go back and look at the report starting end of March of uh, 2022. Russia is running out of missiles. Russia's rockets are they're down to their last week. They're, they're, they're almost done. And, <laughs> and that report would come out like every two weeks. You know, and so here we are in June and, and Russia is still pummeling Ukraine. Uh, with uh, cruise missiles, with glide bombs, with artillery shells. Uh, and so uh, then they kept crossing the red line of, you know, you have Biden on the record, we'll never send tanks. Oh, we're going to send tanks. We'll never send the F-16. We're going to send the F-16. So everything that said that they wouldn't do, they've done. And on and and it's for a meaningless effect uh, because the, the West does not have a weapon system in place that is superior to or can defeat Russian air defense systems, as an example. Now, the Patriot missile, oh, there was the game changer. How'd that turn out? Well, the Russians blew it up. And the fact of the matter is we knew in advance that the Patriot system is a turkey. But just ask the Saudis. They couldn't stop Houthi. Uh, crude missiles from coming in. And I mean crude, not crews. There, there is really nothing left in the NATO cupboard. And what, they're going to throw, uh, put people, load people up on trucks and drive them into Ukraine to be more cannon, cannon fodder? I don't see it. They just, NATO has nothing in its technological kit bag aside from using nuclear weapons that could do anything to change the outcome of this war in Ukraine. So Britain has sent the Storm Shadow missiles. Mm -hmm. France just announced a new round of missiles for Ukraine. And now the U.S. is still debating sending attackums to Ukraine, which yeah. Ukraine has long coveted. You're saying that none of these would make a difference? No, no. I mean, Scott Ritter and I had a friendly disagreement a year ago on, on the, that the sending in the HIMARS was... Uh, going to be a game changer. I said, it's not going to change anything. I mean, yeah, it may kill a few more people, but my idea of a game changer is something that completely alters the outcome. And the outcome here is predetermined. You know, the attackums, yeah, they, some of those may hit inside of Russia, but it's not going to destroy Russia's industrial and military capability. Right now, Russia is the only country in the world that is self-sufficient in terms of being able to produce everything it needs without relying upon some uh, other country. Descended a, a rare earth mineral, for example. Russia has ample supplies of rare earth minerals, um, but also a technological superiority. And we, and we keep forgetting the fact that you know, Russia has been our, our Uber driver to the International Space Station for going on 20 years. Uh, it's just... Uh, you know, and yet we continue to portray uh, Russia and the Russian people as these backward, technologically unsophisticated souls. It's just, it's just a lie. So, uh, if they send attackums, yeah, they'll get shot. Dead. What it's going to do if they send attackums or send F-16s, it's going to raise Russia's military response and risk the possibility that Russia will start striking outside of Ukraine, because the F-16s do represent a potential nuclear threat because they can carry nuclear weapons. And Russia has been very direct with the West about that and made that a specific warning to them. 
So Russia is not going to sit back and risk the possibility uh, of an F-16 taking off with a tactical nuke. Uh, they'll, they'll shoot it down. They'll destroy it before it gets off the ground. And if it's in the ground in Poland, so be it. Looking at the squabbling that's been going on between Zelensky and his NATO patrons, it's been reported now in the New York Times, the Washington Post, that U.S. officials were infuriated with Zelensky for criticizing them over their vague uh, final statement about Ukraine's NATO prospects. I'm just wondering, do you think NATO ever intended ever intended to let Ukraine into the alliance? Or has the pledge of future membership just been used to basically de facto integrate Ukraine into NATO, basically giving NATO a backdoor into Ukraine sure. without ever taking on the responsibility of having to defend Ukraine against Russia? Uh, Ukraine has always been a proxy throughout this entire affair. The, the, the ultimate target's Russia and taking dis, dismantling Russia, taking it apart so that the West can exploit Russians' natural resources. It's vast quantities of gold, oil, gas, uranium, uh, nickel, aluminum. I mean, you just go down, go down the list. Russia is sitting uh, literally on a veritable gold mine, but not just gold, gold alone, uh, as both sort of a breadbasket of Europe. Uh, to that end, Ukraine was seen as a way, as a proxy uh, to, to pull Russia into a fight that, that the West foolishly believed that it could win. Uh, part of the problem there is that, you know, the United States has been engaged with all these foreign military adventures for the last uh, 60 years now going to, uh, back to Vietnam, and none of them have turned out well. They, they've all been, uh, you know, frankly, disastrous in one form or another, other than keeping uh, the defense industry well lubricated. Um, so uh, they, they've, over the last nine years, since the Maidan, every year, NATO and the European command of the United States Army were conducting regular full-scale military exercises with Ukraine. So even though Ukraine was not a, a, a de jure member of NATO, it was a de facto member in terms of its forces were trained with to integrate with NATO personnel. And, and the, the reality was U Ukraine had a stronger army than France and a strong, than the, you know, the United Kingdom's got 75,000 total troops. I, that's, U Ukraine was at start of the war, close to 900,000. <laughs> and yet, the thing, it's the British are going to train the Ukrainians. I mean, it's ridiculous. The, the, these guys live in, in a land of delusion and fantasy. And I'm talking about the Germans, the French, the Brits. Uh, one of the few guys in, in Europe is uh, Orban of uh, Hungary. He, he actually has a pretty uh, good grasp on reality and realizes it's going nowhere. So, uh, I think right now you're looking at NATO is in a panic, a quiet panic. You know, they're not running around the room screaming, but uh, inside they are because everything they've played in Ukraine has failed. And they fully expected Ukraine to have punched through the, the Russian defenses and be, you know, uh, waiting in the Azov Sea uh, right now. And that didn't happen. Why do you think the counteroffensive has failed so badly? There was so much hype around this counteroffensive. Ukraine was going to retake all this territory. So, so what has happened on the ground that's made it so difficult for Ukraine? Well, they, 
they didn't have what you need for a successful offensive. One, number one, the Ukrainians are now outnumbered in manpower. So Russia had more personnel on those defensive lines than Ukraine could muster. Number two, the people that Ukraine was throwing forward in this offensive were, were not properly trained. They had some training, but if you you know a soldier to be effective in this kind of environment would need at least uh, a year to 18 months of training to, to have to be even marginally efficient in combat. I mean, think about the, you know the HBO series Band of Brothers. You know, you look at the, the that group of paratroopers who were trained. They went through almost two years of training before they were thrown into combat. And even then, they had trouble coping with the situation. That wasn't just a Hollywood story or movie. That was that's real life. That's portraying it as it really is. But then they had also had the equipment problem. They didn't have fixed wing combat aircraft that could come up and provide what's called close air support. That means planes will fly up close to behind where the troops are and they can drop bombs on the Russian position or fire missiles. There's a movie out with Mel Gibson, We Were Soldiers. And it showed the, all these soldiers that were trapped in Vietnam. They're surrounded by a Vietnamese army. And they kept having to call air cover in to, to drop bombs on the attacking Vietnamese. Well, that's what you need. You need something like that. You need some helicopters. And you need what's called mobile artillery. So as if you're moving forward in an advancing line, that artillery is coming behind you. Because if the artillery stays in a fixed place, and you keep moving forward, at some point, you're going to reach, a, you're going to come to a geographic location where your own artillery is going to hit you and kill you. And then it'd be nice to have some mobile air defense that can move along with you and intercept anything that the Russians are firing back at you. Ukraine had none of that. <laughs> they had some tanks and uh, some armored vehicles, and the Russians had created these massive minefields and and as Ukraine got into it, it was destroying all this equipment right and left. They didn't have to blow up, use an anti-tank guided missile to blow up a lot of this stuff. The, the mines themselves were doing it. So uh, for all of those reasons, yeah, I could have predicted at the outset. Oh, I did predict at the outset. This was not, this is going to be a bust. And it has been. Jake Sullivan has said that, quote, Ukraine has provided written assurances, end quote, that they will use our cluster bombs quote, in a very careful way, end quote. He also says U.S. clusters have a low dud rate compared to Russia. What's your response to that? Yeah, that's nonsense. Number one, uh, the Ukrainians have sh been shelling and killing civilians wantonly for the last nine years. So now all of a sudden they're going to be careful about not causing civilian casualties. I mean, come on. That's just that's just a flat out lie. Uh, it reflects ignorance. And uh, Sullivan's not ignorant. I, I put him more in the liar category. Um, so, and and the, the dud rate, these things have been sitting around in a warehouse, and the odds are the the, the rate, the dud rate's going to be much higher. What that means is when all these little bomblets that look like small baseballs go flying all over the place, they're not going to explode until two or three years later when a kid picks them up and it blows off their uh, arm, leg, or hand. Yeah, we even had, um, we went over this, we uh, we react to Sunday morning news shows. Um, uh -huh. We do a segment called Monday Morning where we, we react to the Sunday morning news shows we watch so that you don't have to. And one of them was Face the Nation. And uh, Margaret uh, Brennan has, is talking to a Ukrainian ambassador and says, surely you guys aren't going to use them against civilians, right? 
and the ambassador says, oh, of course not. You know, as, as if they've already not done that. Yeah. I mean, it was like unbelievable. I didn't know if it was an ignorance or dishonesty thing. Yeah. No, but, you should have said, no, we're just, we just use the HIMARS and the yeah. M777, the M777s on civilians. No, but no, no, we're not going to use the cluster bombs. We, we prefer the bigger stuff to make sure we kill them. Right. Yeah. And can you talk about what these cluster bombs are? I heard you talk about this on another show, and I think it's important for people to realize what how they function. Yeah, so my understanding is they were the initial development of these was for the war in Vietnam uh, to uh, be able to penetrate the jungle and the, that you you will pack in. Uh, what's a good way? Think of a box of golf balls, only bigger, and you got you know got uh, four dozen golf balls packed in a container. When that container comes apart, those golf balls fly out and land, and they're supposed to explode. But the dead rate means they hit the ground and they don't explode, or you know they fall into water, and the impact's not enough to generate uh, the, the detonation. And so then it hangs around for years, and then you find kids, civilians walking through a field and see something round. Hey, what's this? Boom, and it goes off. So. Uh, it, has, it was banned, or they've tried to ban it, uh, as a kind of uh, weapon that is more harmful to civilians than to troops. Uh, and this, again, this is a sign of the desperation, desperate state that Ukraine is in and the desperate state the United States is in. We don't have any alternative to send them right now, short of nuclear weapons. And so far, thank God, they haven't decided that that's a good idea. But meanwhile... When Biden speaks, he's speaking as if it's Russia that is on the ropes. For example, <laughs> go to a clip of him where he says that, you know, you know, he doesn't think Russia can maintain this war. The question of whether the war could go on for years, is there a possibility there's a stalemate and it can continue for quite some time? Well, I don't think the war can go on for years for two reasons. Number one, I don't think that the uh, Russians could... Uh, could maintain the war forever, number one, in terms of their resources and capacity. Number two, uh, I think that uh, there is going to be a circumstance where uh, eventually uh, President Putin is going to decide it's not in the interest of Russia, economically, politically, or otherwise, to continue this war. Um, but I can't predict exactly how that happens. My hope is, and my expectation is, you'll see that Ukraine makes significant progress on their offensive and that uh, it uh, generates a negotiated settlement somewhere along the line. So he's saying there that he expects Ukraine to make enough progress on the battlefield that would compel Russia to then negotiate and um, accept an outcome that would be favorable to Ukraine. So we don't have a single example since the start of the special military operation where Ukraine has actually gone up against an entrenched Russian force and driven it out of its position and forced it to retreat. Uh, the, the, what took place in Kharkiv uh, last fall in September was uh, Russia had a bunch of territorial defense units, police. They, they were not uh, well supplied. Uh, they were not well armed. And uh, when, once they realized they were up against a larger force, they withdrew from that territory. So it was not a, a hard 
fought battle where the Ukrainians overwhelmed a Russian force. Same thing in Kherson when the Russians abandoned that. I think that was November. Uh, it was because, you know, think of New Orleans. If you've got all of your troops uh, on the west side of the river and your supply lines on the other side of the river, are you going to count on being able to get across that river with supplies? No, that's why they pulled them back. So other, apart from that, there's not been a single example of Ukraine in, the, in this entire special military operation of being able to stop the Russians. You remember Mariupol back in May of 2022. At no point did Ukraine mount a rescue operation of tanks, uh, aircraft, uh, armored divisions moving forward to try to relieve their troops that were surrounded. Couldn't pull it off. And right now, what we've seen over the course of the last, uh, so it started June 4th, here we are you know, coming up on July 14th. Uh, and in, in six weeks, Ukraine has not cracked even the first line of defense. Russia has erected trenches, dragon's teeth, minefields, uh, ditches, a variety of anti-tank traps. Ukraine hasn't even gotten to the first of those. They just got to the, you know, the minefields that were out in front. So their inability to crack that is, uh, again, reflected on, they just don't have the offensive power. And yet we know that this is what uh, NATO fully expected them to accomplish. David Petraeus, a retired general, was on television on June 6th because he had clearly been briefed on what the plan was. Boy, he was all optimistic. They're going to do this and they're going to do that. And they're going to, you know, march into the, they're going to be like Sherman going to the sea of, Georgia, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. Well, it didn't, hasn't happened. And, and it, what, what's, what it has resulted in is the Ukrainians are taking horrific casualties. And this is, this is really sort of, uh, I'm not sure who coined the term, Doug McGregor or Scott Ritter, uh, but they talked about this is the third army now that Ukraine has raised to fight uh, Russia. You know, the first army existed at the start of the special military operation. That was degraded. It was replaced with new reinforcements and replacements. That's the second army that was involved with the uh, Kharkiv offensive and, and going to Kherson, but ultimately losing in Bakhmut. Now you're on the third iteration. And each iteration is... It's like if you keep making a copy of something, every generation of the succeeding copy becomes less, uh, less quality, less clear, uh, less integrity. And that's exactly what's happening to uh, the Ukrainian military. They're, they're really they're in a death spiral because by, by the death spiral, I mean they can't recruit, train and then keep those troops in training for a, a sufficient period, say a year before they have to be committed to combat. It's just the opposite. They're being grabbed off the street, given a gun, maybe three weeks of training, and then boom, off to the front line. Well, you know, they really are not in any condition to do anything of any consequence militarily. So that's why this, this complete, this counteroffensive has been a complete dud. Now they're going to run up against uh, the fall and winter. Uh, so you, in Ukraine, we know from history, just ask the Germans and ask Napoleon, weather plays a huge impact. And once the rains start coming at the end of September, 1st of October, 
all of a sudden the roads and fields in Ukraine become impassable or virtually impassable. And it limits the kinds of military campaigns that can be conducted. So right now, Ukraine has left two weeks in July, four weeks in August, and four weeks in September. That's eight weeks. And where are they going to get their magic army now? And they've already run out of munitions. And some of the munitions that are being promised them by the West aren't going to show up until December or January. I, I frankly don't know how Ukraine survives intact after September. Hmm. So what do you think the Biden administration's strategy is, assuming they have one? Is it to just to try to delay this until after the 2024 presidential election? I don't think they have a strategy other than what I've called the more cowbell. You know, if you recall that Saturday Night Live skit with Christopher Walken, it would come out. They were the band was playing blue, a blue oyster cult song. He said, we need more cowbell. No matter what happened, we need more cowbell. That's been the Biden policy with respect to Ukraine. Uh, the cowbell, though, in this case is attack them, cluster munitions, F-16s. Then we're going to look around and go, what else do we got? Trying to put, uh, you know, what, what was going to be proven is once there's a part of me that wants the F-16 put into theater, just so it can get shot down and it can finally wake these morons up to the disaster they've created. Because the United States, through its military adventures over the last, you know, especially the last 30 years, has built up this mythology about our mighty military capability. We are so great. You know, as Donald Trump said, we've got the best military in the world. No, we don't. We've got the most expensive military in the world. But we have a military that is decked out with Lamborghini, the equivalent of Lamborghinis and Ferraris, but that you know, they don't work or the parts are so expensive, you can barely operate them. And they're not tied into an integrated national security strategy. It's, it's more like, you know, we're going to a bar and see if we can pick a fight. And, and it's just what we're doing. Our strategy is designed more to keep the military industrial complex going. As long as we've got a fresh enemy for them, they're, they're happy, which is why we've seen this growth of the national defense budget from what was it, 1990 it was around 225 billion now it's approaching 850 billion heading towards a trillion and and what do we have to show for it uh, we've found weapon systems that the russians are regularly defeating on the battlefield in kuwait i, I mean in ukraine excuse me this fantasy of standing with ukraine and defeating russia like what would that even look like then turn into a nuclear war? I guess I'm just trying well, to figure out how to reach people who are not bad faith cynics, but actually feel empathy towards Ukrainians and feel we need to stand with Ukraine. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. Well, that was interesting. It was. And, you know, I think we should get ahead of some criticism of this segment because there is a big effort to try to silence people who dissent from the pro-proxy war line on Ukraine. And so what is done is anything that someone said in the past that can be used to discredit them is invoked. So just to get out in front of this, Larry Johnson, if you go to his Wikipedia page, and Wikipedia is notorious for um, all sorts of efforts to smear uh, critics of 
the neocon agenda, basically. I know that from my own experience with my Wikipedia page. It says many things. And not providing the full yeah, content. And it says many things about Larry Johnson that you know are obviously aimed at, at discrediting him. So it does point out that he said things that have turned out to be false. So, for example, he accused Michelle Obama of making some comments about Whitey in a tape. And he also uh, falsely accused John Kerry of committing uh, rape in Vietnam. And in both cases, Larry Johnson says he got it wrong and he apologized. And he says in the case of Michelle Obama, he actually fell for a scam that was propagated by the Clinton campaign initially. So that's his response there. And on John Kerry, it was he says that he basically fell for a doctored tape, which he's apologized for, which his his Wikipedia page doesn't mention that he has actually retracted those statements. But that's par for the course when you're dealing with uh, critics of proxy wars. There's going to be any attempt made to ignore what they have to say now and instead try to bring up selectively things they've said in the past. So that's us getting out ahead of our critics. So sorry, we've taken away your your ace in the hole. And uh, yeah, we won't be deterred from interviewing people who happen to dissent from the party line because otherwise, what are we here for? True that. All right. Usefulidiots.substack.com and usefulidiots.locals.com to support us and get bonus content. Including the extended interview where we get into some really interesting stuff about Russiagate and Prigozhin and his disguises. And of course, you also get the Thursday Throwdown segment, which is where we react to media clips from the week. All right. Bye, everybody. All righty. Bye. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.